believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. Ruth chapter 2. And as we come to the book of Ruth, we are reminded of the story where Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, 10 years prior, had lived in Bethlehem, house of bread. That's what the city, the town, the village means. And during a famine, her and her husband and her two adult boys moved to Moab. So they moved out of the promised land to the land of foreigners. They went from where Jehovah's God in a famine to a place where Chamosh is God the bully god, and the various other gods they served over there, the Moabites and the Ammonites and all those folks that lived in the east, to the east of the Jordan River. And there her husband died, and then both their sons died, her big boy and her baby boy. And she had her two daughter-in-laws. We know that there are good relationships. They're very close. They wept together twice in chapter 1, the daughter-in-laws with Ruth, with Naomi with Ruth and the other daughter-in-law. And Naomi said, I'm it's been a tough go. You go back to your household, find some Moabite men who you can reboot the human experience with and start over again. And I'll go back my way because they'd heard that there was bread in Bethlehem. So after 10 years, talk about a tough decade, she's going back to her hometown where they owned property before they left, but they would have sold the property. So her husband sold the house, sold the land during a famine, had a business plan to go to Moab where there was opportunity. And they all died in Moab and she's returning alone dramatic, powerful story. But we know that Ruth, her daughter-in-law, refused to stay behind. Ruth insisted to be by Naomi's side till death do them part. And when they got back to Bethlehem, and Ruth the Moabitess is with Naomi, and remember, Moabites and Israelites would have been absolute enemies. And if you think, well, the Israelites looked upon Moabites as enemies, believe me, Moabites looked upon Israelites as enemies. They would have been jealous of the blessings of God upon the Israelites, for sure, because their God's a blessing God. And they're being chastened by God during the time of Judges, because this is on the back end during the time of Judges, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And it's in that backdrop where Naomi comes back to town with this foreign woman that no one knew. She comes back to her hometown, where the house she used to own is right there on the corner, and the land they used to work is right there. The business is there. And there's bread in Bethlehem, house of bread. She comes back, And everyone's so happy to see her, but all she can think about is her grief. And she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She had a a rough go, as as rough as it can go in the human experience. And it's in that backdrop where we come to chapter 2 and pick up now the second segment of this story. And we're going to read verses 1 through 13. We read the whole chapter Tuesday night, but... For the back part of the chapter kind of summarizes with the 13, and I'll do that. So, verse 1, chapter 2. And it was the beginning of the barley harvest for the house of bread, Bethlehem. And there was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. That was her husband's name that died in Moab. This relative was a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field 
and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And so Ruth said, Naomi said to Ruth, said to her, go, my daughter. And then she left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, that's his foreman, his boss, and he says, Hey, whose young woman is this? And so the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and said, "Uh, It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. And she said, Please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheep. So she came and has continued from morning until now, though she rested a little in the house. Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen to me, my daughter, will you not? Do not go glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close to by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. Have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So she fell on her face bowed down to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? And Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and you've come to the people whom you did not know. The Lord repay your work and full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. And then she said to him, Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. This is the key dialogue of this chapter and really the key dialogue of this book, this amazing story. It's building and it's moving toward a very happy ending. From bitterness of Naomi will come redemption with Obed, the child that will come through Ruth and Boaz. And from that child will come Jesse. And from Jesse will come the great King David and the Lord Jesus Christ. Which brings us to a very interesting spiritual fact behind the story we just read. In a universe with trillions of galaxies, (laughs) that's amazing, In a universe with trillions of galaxies, that's a number that's just massive. In a universe where God knows the hairs on our head, in a universe where God spoke everything we know of time, space, and matter into existence out of nothing, he made it all in six literal days, and where humanity is the crown jewel of the entire universe, man, woman, and where sin wrecked and brought curse upon the entire universe, the law of entropy, death. In this universe, from that fall, when God spoke in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3.15, the promise of a Messiah to come, all through the pre-flood world, primeval world of about 1,600 years, up to the time of Noah, then the flood, then the Ice Age, and then 500 years later, Abraham, where God called Abraham, the Abrahamic promise, out of modern Iraq to the promised land, Israel. And there the sons of promise. Abraham gave birth to Isaac, the son of promise. Jacob, the grandson, Jacob's 12 sons, Joseph and the rest, to become a nation. They all endured famines. 
what God did in their lives, he did in the same land where they're at right now, this story of Boaz and Ruth. He was working on redemption. Always working on redemption of humanity. Not just redemption of a house and a property lost, which this story is about. Because Boaz is the Goel, the kinsman redeemer. And we're going to see that next week in the future. He alone is the person set aside by God by genealogy and biological plans of the Lord, the relative Elimelech, that is the Goel, the kinsman's redeemer, that can redeem the land and the house that Ruth and her family lost, excuse me, that Naomi and her family gave up when they moved to Moab 10 years before. For in the law of God, there is, with the inheritances God gave his people, the Israelites in the land, you could sell your land, but you could buy it back. You had that right to buy it back. And even in the book of Revelation, there in chapter 5, we're told in the praise and worship of the throne room, who is worthy to unloosen the scroll, the redemption scroll of planet Earth, to break the curse of sin, to break Satan's plans and the darkness and the sin and death and all these things that affect the whole universe, trillions of galaxies. And they cry out, who is worthy? And the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is worthy. And in his coming, he redeems back for us what Adam lost and Eve in the garden. They gave up their house. They gave up their residence. They gave up the land God gave them to till, for they were tillers of the ground. And in their sin, they gave it up. They forfeited it, and they lost it. And it was forfeited to Satan, entire planet Earth. Thus, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, the prince of the power of the air, the one who creates mischief behind the scenes with principalities and powers. And from that original fall to that promise of Jesus in Revelation chapter 5 to redeem planet Earth with his soon coming, his second coming, his return, he is the ultimate Goel and kinsman redeemer, not just of Elimelech's land and Naomi's inheritance that God had given her family hundreds of years before when they came in the promised land in the time of Joshua, but of planet Earth. And as we gather here tonight as the church of Jesus Christ, we wait for our Goel, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. He's already redeemed us from sin and the power of the devil and the fear of the grave, but he will raise us from the grave. And when we read about the second coming of Christ, we are reading about our Goel, Jesus Christ, redeeming and restoring all things, a new heaven, a new earth, a full restoration, no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more tears. That is redemption of planet earth, this universe, the fullness of what the shadow is and the type is of Naomi's house and property. And in this story, Ruth, who's a hero, they're all heroes, but it really, as I said Tuesday night, the the real hero is Jesus, Jehovah, and Yeshua, his son. But in this universe of trillions of galaxies and trillions of planets, and where time, space, and matter does guide and govern the universe as a dynamic of the universe that God made, on this day in human history, this is a real day. And you think of this story of this broken, impoverished woman from Moab, a foreigner, So now we do what we did Tuesday night. We're going to think about foreigners who come to America looking for work. They might get small business loans, and they might build, you know, they might have this gas station, this 7-Eleven or whatever. You see this when you go around the country. Australia is the same thing when you go to Australia. But they they might get government grants. They might not. They might be here legally. They might not. But here in America, particularly in Southern California, you see all these diverse ethnicities of people who English is a second language, who have come from a distant land that is not good at all to a house of bread to try and carve out a life. We used to call that, and we still do call it, the American dream. And their entry level is cleaning people's houses. 
or mowing their lawns or working graveyard shift at a risk in a 24-hour gas station in South Central LA. They take the lowest jobs with the lowest pay to put bread on the table however they can to make it happen. And they might be friendly to you and me if you're white or Latino or Asian, whatever. They might be friendly, they might not. They might be racist against you. They might resent white people or Latinos or Asians or blacks. They might, right? There might be people here that resent them. But they've taken their foreigners and they've taken the lowest position of society to earn bread. And herein is very similar to Ruth. She's taking the lowest position to earn bread. In God's welfare economy, he provided bread, daily bread, for the poor people. And it's better than the cards they give you now, right? If we own this land that Boaz owns, and by the way, we'll get to him, he prospered in a famine, which is what people of faith do. But she, she was there and in God's economy, she was allowed, he could only glean his field once. She's allowed to come in behind the gleaners and look for leftovers and gather it. That was a welfare program. By the way, that's not a handout, is it? A little side note. I listened to Pastor Chuck's study on this from 45 years ago. And all, it's a better welfare program. It's not a handout. It's not a, it's not a debit card in the mail. You had to get up like Ruth did, go to the field and glean. I remember when homeless people used to beg for money at Calvary Vista 40 years ago. Geller would say, come back in an hour, I'll put you to work. And occasionally you see guys doing landscaping work at Calvary Vista, 885 East Vista Way, and then Gaylord would give them like a gift card for Albertsons or something. That's really a biblical model. The handout isn't so much a biblical model, although let me say this, Proverbs tells us, he who gives to the poor gives to the Lord, and he always repays. So by the way, if someone's grateful or not grateful when you give them your breakfast burrito, um, the Lord will always repay you. You can never go wrong. You can never go wrong. Cast your bread upon many waters. You don't know which direction will come back from. You can never go wrong. You can never go wrong when you give to the poor because you're given to the Lord and he will always repay. You can never go wrong. But in this economic system coming out of a famine, and now in Bethlehem, House of Bread, there's bread. She is entry-level position. You know, the first job I went for was Ukigawa Tomatoes in Carlsbad, where Legoland is now. It used to be all those tomato fields back in 1974, 75. And that's where everyone got their first job, going to Carlsbad High School back in the day. Didn't matter if you were the Chicanos and you played on the soccer team, or your surfers like Joey Baran and David Barr. You all went to Ukigawa Tomato Packing House for the Ukigawa family, who, by the way, had been in internment camps during World War II. They moved to Carlsbad, they bought the land, and they had tomato fields. And in the morning, we'd all show up. You know, I'm like 15 years old, right? And Ukigawa Jr., who's still alive, they just did a big feature story on him in Carlsbad Magazine. He'd come out, and he'd go, you, 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 you. And my first job, ladies and gentlemen, was sorting green and red tomatoes for eight hours on a conveyor belt at Ukigawa Tomatoes. That's Ruth's job here. Remember your first job? Cleaning the toilets at Del Taco or something? We all have a, this is how, this woman at one time had a husband who loved her and he died. He died young. 
And she chose her mother-in-law over her own mother, her own father, her gods, and her high school classmates. She gave up everything she knew, like my Norwegian great-grandmother who got on a ship in Europe with seven kids not speaking English and came through Ellis Island in 1905, got on a train and took it to Illinois where my great-grandfather was waiting for her after two and a half years. I think for Americans, we can find things in this story that we relate to, perhaps a little bit deeper than most people might. Because obviously, unless you're Native Americans, and even so, we don't know how or where you began to be here. We all came from somewhere. We all came from somewhere. And we all start somewhere. We need to understand the context of Ruth in this field. And it is the law of God that allowed her to go to work in this field and to receive the gleanings from this field as food for her. And she's not doing it just for her. She's actually doing it for her mother-in-law, who she said, your God is my God, your people are my people. That's the background here. And this story right here, just this element of the story contextually should give us empathy on everyone around us. At 61, I'm almost 61, I'm learning to smile at people in America who don't smile back at me. It used to really bother me when I'd smile at people who are from another country and they wouldn't smile back to that. Does that bother you? I kind of like, what's wrong with you people? Life is good. We're not even beach on the bike path. Why can't you smile? Well, I don't know their story. And neither do you. God's teaching me in the 61st year of living to still smile when they're not smiling. And that's a good lesson to get me ready for eternity. In God's law, God's law is important in this chapter. This is all going according to his word. Listen to me. This whole story takes place in the context of his word. Her gleaning, she's allowed to glean because God's word provides for her to glean. She's in the boundaries of blessings as a Gentile. She is benefiting from the word of God as a Gentile, a non-Jew. But we know the gospels to the Jew first, then the Gentiles. She's a type of the church in many ways in this story, as we've talked about. And so in a galaxy of trillions, in a universe of trillions of galaxies and trillions of planets, we must realize for a minute that this woman, a foreigner, who's all in with the people of covenant, grafted in like a Gentile, and this man of wealth who prospered in the land of famine when his relative left and sold everything and never came back. These two different people separated by cultures and generations, probably at least one generation, have eye contact. This man and this woman. He's a powerful man. Economically, he's probably the most powerful man in the region because he found a way to make money during a famine. And he has many employees during the famine. He is in a position of economic, social power. She is probably one generation lower, a foreigner, and she's in a position of total brokenness that she falls to her knees before him. And in the entire universe that God oversees, where all the planets do what they're doing, comets, asteroids, this moment of this man and this woman having eye contact is the messianic promises of Jesus Christ. This is the arrowhead, the apex of the gospel of Jesus Christ on planet Earth. Not only on this day, but in this generation. 
Because as God was building his genealogy of how he's going to save the world, how he's going to reach the nations through his son, a Jew, king of the Jews, to reach the Gentiles, all nations. Here, this Jew who's a faithful Jew during the time of Judges, whose life is guided by the word of God, who does leave the promises of God, does live by faith, does show empathy and compassion. He's a kind man. He's a good man. He's a benevolent leader. This man is a Jew's Jew in the Old Testament covenant. And this woman is a church's church because she's a Gentile and she's all in with Jehovah's people. Last week's message. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. I want to be with the church and I want to praise Jesus' name wherever it's happening. Let's do this. From Southern Baptist to Foursquare Pentecostal, I want to be with your people. All in. This is amazing. And these two people will come together and have this child also in the framework of God's word. We'll get to that next week with the kinsman redeemer. And that child is going to grow up to be the grandfather of David. The, the, the way the generations work. It's, it's incredible with all the civilizations, the ancient Chinese cultures, the Eastern people, and all these human beings on planet Earth this time, this moment where, where this conversation we just read happens, the, all the promises of God, everything Jesus promised to do, Revelation 5, who's where they take the scroll, it's all right here, and this is a type of what's going to happen when Jesus comes for us. It's all in this moment right here. Slow it down, rewatch the scene, play it again, over and over and over. This is the love of God for humanity. Because Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and this man's a kinsman's redeemer, and this Gentile one's going to be grafted in to redeem back to the house of Elimelech, those things. And from that house will come David, and David will be the title that our Lord and Savior Jesus takes. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Ruth and Boaz will end up in both genealogies of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Now, in this text, Ruth said to Naomi, I'm going to find this man that I may find favor in his sight. Then she finds favor in his sight when she says in verse 10, why have I found favor in your eyes? And then in verse 13, the last verse we read, she said, let me find favor in your sight. So she's looking for favor from this very man in the start of this chapter. Then she finds favor from this man in this chapter. And then she's asking for more favor from this man in this chapter. This phrase, find favor, is an interesting one. We read this phrase with Joseph in the book of Genesis, where he found favor wherever he went. He prospered in Potiphar's house. He prospered in the prison, and he prospered before Pharaoh. He went from being the smartest man in the country, but running a prison as a prisoner, falsely accused. And in one day, he gets called up, takes a shower, changes his garments, comes before the richest, most powerful man on planet Earth, who gives him his signet ring, and says, you're in charge of all my wealth. So don't let lack of wealth ever discourage you, temporal wealth, because it's really about being faithful in the little things. And if God wants to give you more, he'll give you more. It's that simple. But be faithful in whatever he gives us. Joseph found favor while he also found great heartache and sorrow and injustices. But he found favor. And 
for all the wealth that Joseph ever controlled in the book of Genesis, he controlled all of Egypt. He was a, he's probably the greatest landlord, land baron of all time, really, for real. If you know the story, it matches up that way. But even so, he could be entrusted with all that wealth because in the end of his life, he's in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith saying, I know that God will visit his people and keep his promises. And my life isn't in Egypt. And my life isn't bound in these temporal things. You pick my bones up when you leave this land and God keeps his promises and you take my bones and you bury them in the promised land because my God is Jehovah and my God has promised to send the Redeemer. And it's not about Egypt and temporary wealth. It's about the promised land because I'm yoked to my great-grandfather Abraham who, who never had a house, who believed in God for his house. That's my God. Abraham looked for the city which had foundation whose builder and maker is God. And I may have controlled all the wealth on planet Earth as number two. And by the way, in the Bible, the people that control the money faithfully are always in the two spot. They're always the backup quarterback, like Daniel in Babylon. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.